0: for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.me. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout the week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download your apps. Now let's get to this week's message in our You Asked For It series, a series designed from questions we've received from you. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Having fun? Awesome. Hey, before we get into the series today, uh, before we get into the message, I want to bring your attention to these. Christmas Eve is next Sunday, and you received, hopefully received one of these on the way in. Here's what you need to know. Very important. Everybody listening? There is nothing next week at a normal time. Did I say that clear enough? If you do anything next Sunday, the same time you normally do, you're going to look really weird walking in the middle of a service or standing in the parking lot when there is not one, okay? So here's the deal. First of all, let me ask a question. Who are you inviting? You know, there are a lot of people that this is the one time a year your invitation will work. So I want to encourage you, take one of these, use it, invite a friend. Second of all, we have worked really hard to make this the best experience they're ever going to have. So a couple of things you need to know. Number one, come with an empty stomach. Or at least a stomach's got room left, right? Second of all, do not run in and run out. Be prepared to stick around for a little bit. We're going to have some fun things happen in the parking lot, some fun things for your kids. Your kids are not going to want to go very quickly, so be prepared to hang around and let them enjoy. You need to be prepared to enjoy, and you need to invite someone that this could really touch their lives. Okay, everybody good with that? And last thing, just for you guys, look around the room. There is an 11 o'clock service. Please, all of you, don't come to it. I mean, come on, look around the room. There's no room left for the guest, right? There's no room left for anybody who's going to say, let me go to church for the one time that I go and hopefully hear the gospel and see their lives changed. We have three times, 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., and that is because some of you are going to need to work or shop and then come later. Some of you are going to need to come early and then go cook dinner and go to family. I don't know what's going to work for you, so we're doing it all day long from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. 5 p.m. And some of you actually want a candlelight service when it's dark. So that's the five o'clock service. By the time we light the candles, it will be. And the stuff in the parking lot will be much more fun in the dark too. So hey, that's all I'm going to say about that, so that you have to invite a friend. Okay, we are on the final part of a series we've been doing. This is part six, Uh, and every week we've been answering a different question you've asked. Let me ask you a question now. Is the Bible confusing? Has anybody ever tried to read the Bible? Have you ever tried to read Come on, let me just ask that question. Have you ever tried to read the Bible? And, and there's so much going on. And after a while, you're like, wait a minute. I don't even know who this person is. I don't even know what is going on. I don't know what this person has to do with the last person I just read about. And, and, and I'm just like, what? Right? I became a believer at 16, so I grew up going to church. Most of you already know this, but at 16 years old is when I finally said, I will follow Jesus. I will do that. And so as a sophomore in high school, it just made sense. If I'm going to be a Christian, if I'm going to be a Jesus follower, I should read the Bible. That's common sense for Christians, right? Y'all read between the lines. There you go. Okay, so at that point, I thought, how am I going to do this? I've got this paperback Bible that someone just gave me in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. No jokes. I was in part of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Yes. Anyway. And, and so they gave me this paperback Bible, and I said, I'm just going to read two or three chapters a day, and we'll see what happens. Didn't read every single day because, you know, those are the algebra cram sessions. You stay up late. And then there are the times you're watching a TV show too late. You only read part of a chapter or one chapter. Anyway, so I got to my senior year and I finally wrapped this thing up. Almost like three years. But hey, that is actually still better than some, right? Okay. And here's what happened. When I got to the end of the Bible in my senior year, I discovered I had more questions than answers. I had way more confusion and questions than before I read it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is there... A simple theme. Is there a big picture to the Bible? That actually is the question that someone has asked. That's what we're looking at today. Is there a big picture story to the Bible? And if so, what is it? Just to make a point, here's what the Bible says of itself. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But how can it do that if we're confused when we read it? right? How can it do that if you're like, I don't know if this is the stuff that matters today, or if that's the stuff that mattered in the Old Testament. I don't know if this person is somebody we're supposed to follow, or somebody we're not supposed to follow. I mean, come on, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, how can it do that if I don't know if it makes any sense? How many of you have ever heard the phrase, I'm sure most of you have, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? You can't see the forest for the trees. That's what happens. Start reading the Bible and you get in here, and here's a guy named this, and there's a guy named that, and this guy went there, and this guy got swallowed by this, and this guy fell into that pit, and this guy got eaten by a lion, or at least darn close to it. I'm just confused. All of these trees all around me, and I can't find my way back out because I didn't leave any breadcrumbs, right? You know, it's like, how, what's going on? Our goal today is to make sense and to see if we can sum this up. So here we go. Here's what I'm after. My goal today is to simplify the confusion. Simplify the confusion to help us find one single big picture story that is happening all throughout the Bible so that when we read it, it actually makes sense. And then the real goal is, if that's true, we will want to read it because we can understand it. So here we go. My text today, I've always joked about this. Today I can actually say it and it's not a joke. Our text today is the entire Bible. Come on, that's going to be fun. Our text today is from Genesis to Revelation. You know, I love the fact that normally you're able to follow along and look in your own Bibles and make notes, and, and so when you take it home, it is real to you. However, due to the fact that our text today is the entire Bible, and I'm going to highlight only particular parts, it's going to be easier for everybody if you just follow along on the screen. So here we go. The Bible begins with a book called Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And it starts out with this. In the beginning... God, that's really important because what we need to understand is it begins with the main character, God, you and I are not the main characters. Moses is not the main character. Abraham's not the main character. A collection of humanity is not the main character. And this is something we must understand many times because we think it's all about them. It's not. It's all about him. In the beginning, God, and then he finishes the sentence in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so here we go. As we begin, we open up our Bibles, and suddenly we have God, and then we have creation, and then we have people like Adam and Eve beginning to show up on the scene. And so Adam and Eve, by the way, I just want to stop and make sure we understand something. Many people, because, you know, sometimes you shouldn't have to say this, but you do in our world today. Adam and Eve are real. I need you to understand that. Adam and Eve are real. Now, I know you may have had a science class or a history class that told you they were not That somewhere along the way that we came out of an animal and we became something else. And I've already answered that. I don't have time to get into the whole how does the Bible and science actually work together and fit together. And and the Bible is, is trustworthy. It's in a series on our website called The Bible. You can go get that another time. I don't have time for that. But what you do need to hear today is if Adam and Eve are not real, you and I have no hope. Are you with me? Let me explain it. Jesus flat out said that God created them, male and female, in the beginning. If Adam and Eve are not real, then our Savior is very confused and honestly a liar. How can we trust that? How can he save us if he doesn't even understand what happened in the beginning? But more important, well, maybe not more importantly, equally as important is the fact that we are being saved from an inherent sinfulness. We are sinful from the moment we are born. Why? Because of Adam. If Adam wasn't real, you and I are not sinful. Jesus is confused or a liar. We have no hope. So whatever decision you have to make to reconcile what you learned in science class and what you learn when reading the scripture, you have to make sure that Adam and Eve are real people. So when Adam and Eve show up on the scene, here's what happens. The sinfulness of man also makes its way on the stage. Other people show up in other events maybe you've heard of. People like Noah, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Here's the point of Genesis. God begins to reveal himself. You see, I want you just to imagine going back in time and not having what you and I have today. Just imagine, suddenly, God, creation, problem. How do they know anything about him? How do they know what he's like? How do they know what he wants? How do they know anything? God has to reveal himself to creation. So he does. Then God begins to reveal his plan for creation. God reveals his intention to have relationship. With his creation. God reveals his nature. He reveals his character. He reveals his will. And what's really cool, he even begins to expose his plan to restore all of creation. It's actually in chapter three the first time we hear Jesus is coming. I don't know about you, but I grew up in Sunday school really, really confused. I grew up going to church where every week you heard a different story. You know, God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, they screwed up. God started over, God did this, God started over, God did this, God. Amen. I was just like, seriously? And I had this idea that we were like on plan triple Z by the time God's like, I tried everything. I don't know it's going to work. There was plan A, it was the garden, it didn't work. I kicked him out. There was plan B, so then there's the flood. Then there's plan C, there's Egypt. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And somewhere about plan triple Z, Jesus comes running up. Hey, Dad, I got an idea. I'm kind of bored up here anyway. Send me down there, I'll fix it. And that's just the mental state that I was in in church growing up as a kid because you constantly hear all these stories and how God's trying to fix all of the mess that man is making. But what I need you to know today is it was in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, like just a couple pages in, God lets us know Jesus is coming. He is plan A. He's always been plan A. So by the end of Genesis, here's where we are. God is revealed, at least to a large degree. We have the creation of man. We have God's plan for his creation. Sadly, we also have sin. And we have the devil. We have Jesus prophesied. We have the answer to sin and the devil. That's some good news, right? And we have God beginning to establish a people for himself. And this is why we should read Genesis. Because everything that matters to us begins there. Everything. You know, people come to me sometimes, and they, they say things like, well, pastor, you know, I, I, I got saved a couple of months ago at your church, and, and so I got one of those, those Bibles at the, at the blue tent, and I started reading. I started at Genesis. Actually, I even have people tell me this sometimes. I started with my granddaddy's King James Bible, and I don't understand anything. Well, okay, if that's where you are, that's fine. I'm not going to go there today. But, but they start at Genesis, and they say, okay, it was good for a little bit, and then I just got lost. Okay, listen, I want you to understand this. If you're a believer... I think Genesis isn't, I'm sorry, a new believer. I think Genesis is an awesome place to start because everything we need to know about God begins there. Everything about mankind begins there. However, I think it's also good at the same time you're doing that, you're starting somewhere in the New Testament and and getting something about Jesus and, and the life of us as a Christian. Because if you just start at Genesis, and the minute you hit like Leviticus all the way to Malachi, like nine months worth of reading, life's going to be pretty tough if this is where you just began. So if you're a new believer, amen to starting in Genesis, just start in two places at the same time. So here we go. We're finishing up Genesis. We have God revealing himself and God chooses to do this largely through a people, a people that he wants to say, you will be mine and I will be your God and the entire world will look at us and they will figure out who I am and the entire world will be blessed because of you. I will be glorified. This is the way this is going to work. And so we have the first five books of the Bible. This is the story. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These five books are the unveiling of God having a people and telling them what it is going to be like to live in a way that honors him and to live in a way that is different from the rest of the world. It's in these five books that we find what we call the Old Testament law much of which we do not have to do today to be right with God. And so many Christians say, why should I read this? I don't need these five books. I'm not going to heaven based on how I do the Old Testament law. No, you're not. But the Old Testament law still tells us what matters to God. You're not going to get into heaven because of how well you do the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments still tell us what God thinks is right and wrong. This is why we should read these five. We also see in these five, this is where God establishes this group of people. Started out with a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a kid named Isaac. And Isaac had a kid named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And it's here we see the beginning of this people, Israel. Now, we know Israel as a nation. All throughout the Bible, we know Israel is a nation. But Israel started as a man. His name was Jacob. And in his encounters with God, God changed his name. But this is where we get the saying today, and you see it all throughout Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because it all began right there. I want you to see something. As early as when God spoke to Abraham, he was already thinking of you and me. Check this out. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and the sand is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all... The nations of the earth be blessed. You see, it was even at the beginning, as God was establishing his people, it was his plan to make you and me a part of it, to bring us back to where we were supposed to be. Next in this story, we pick up the the story of Egypt. And so Jacob and his 12 sons, due to a famine, end up in Egypt. Matter of fact, God was blessing them so much that one of Jacob's sons was one of the highest in the land. So they went as the most esteemed guest. They spent about 400 years there. And by the end, they were no longer esteemed guests, but they were slaves. So what does God do when his people are not being well taken care of? He delivers them. And God shows up to deliver his people and give them the promised land. And he says something that is a theme all throughout Scripture. Check this out. I will take you to be my people. It's what God's always been after. It's what he started with Adam and Eve when he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, talking with them. God wants you to be his people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. This has been God's plan. Just as he's delivering them out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, that is what he's saying to them. But here's the problem. They wouldn't keep up their end of the deal. They wanted God to bless them. They wanted God to protect them. They wanted God to do all of these great things for them. But they didn't want to obey him. Sounds familiar? Turns out in thousands of years, it's the same thing. God, please bless me. God, please provide for our Disney vacation. God, please give me a promotion. God, I could use a new car. Oh, wait a minute. You want me to? I don't think so. So we should learn from this next sentence. The overwhelming majority of the Old Testament is God trying to be their God and them refusing to be his people. And so God is left with no choice but to teach his children how much he loves them, but as well how much they need to obey him. And so here we finally go to the rest of the Old Testament. You guys were thinking, man, if he's doing this at this speed, I'm going to be here till (laughs) dinnertime. Check this out. Thirty four books I'm going to do in seconds. The next thirty four books of the Old Testament are divided into three groups. Next, we pick up Joshua, and we go all the way through Esther. These are the historical books. And you may say, what's the point of that? Well, many stories that build our faith. People who serve as an example of what we should do, and lots of people who serve as examples of what we should not do. Stories revealing how God relates to his people, how he expects people to relate to him, and how he expects us to relate to each other. How many of you have heard the phrase, a wise man learns from his own mistakes, a wiser man learns from another man's mistakes? This is our opportunity to be the wiser man. We can see hundreds of years of history of God's people messing it up so that we have a chance to get it right. And that is why we should read this part of the Bible, following that in your Bible Five books known as Wisdom Literature, Job through Song of Solomon. Incredible wisdom for your daily life. And so there are two things in here, including Psalms and Proverbs, that some people make a daily part of their reading. I learned this when I was in college. I had a missionary from China was preaching one Sunday, and he told us how he read the Bible. And one of the things, as I said earlier, he always read the Old Testament and he read the New Testament, but then he also read a chapter in Psalms. You see, there's 150 psalms, there's 356 days in the year. So it gives you a chance to read one a day. You have a few days where you miss or you're on vacation or you have the flu. And then, of course, there's chapter 119, Psalm 119. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I personally give you permission to take a month on that one. Okay, if you want to read that one in a day, let your boss know you're not making it to work. So you can can read through one psalm a day except for that one, and you'll get through psalms about twice a year. Psalms is incredibly unique out of everything else in Scripture. Psalms is David, for the most part, who God says is a man after my own heart, talking to God. That is very useful for you and me, because there are days where David says, God, you are so good. And there are days where David says, God, why have you forsaken me? Come on, who knows what David feels like, right? Monday, why have you forsaken me? Saturday, God, you're so good. I mean, we just, we're there. We need to read Psalms more than on occasion. And then there's Proverbs. Funny, it's like God knows something. 31 chapters of Proverbs, typically, usually 31 chapters in the month. And so the way you can do this is read the chapter that goes with the date. On the first of the month, you read chapter one. The second of the month, you read chapter two. And so you will get through Proverbs about 12 times a year. I've been doing this since I was in college. After you finish the wisdom literature, the rest of the Old Testament is made up from Isaiah to Malachi. These are called the prophetic books. These are written by messengers, God sending people to tell his desire for his people. But sadly, if they will not do his desire, a warning for his people. Now, this is very important. Hear me. Quite often, we think that the Bible began at this year. And every time you turn a page, you go a year or two and everything is chronological. No, that is one reason that you can't see the forest for the trees. It's very confusing if you start walking around the same tree and counting it as multiple trees, right? There are many times you're going to see the same story show up over and over and over again, just like First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles is almost the same thing, just with some different details. You see, here's what's happening. These historical books that are taking place, the prophetic books are taking place at the same time. Because just as these people are living their lives, God is sending his messengers to talk to them. And the wisdom literature are the same. So when you read these these final books of the Old Testament, the 34 of them, please do not try to read them exactly in linear chronological order. Some of it is, but not all of it. So here we go. Old Testament, wrap it up. Here's what we have. Genesis to Deuteronomy, known as the books of Moses, because those five are considered to be written by him. Tells the story of creation and God establishing his people upon the earth. Then we have Joshua to Esther. Those are historical books. Then we have Job to Song of Solomon, which is wisdom literature. And finishing out the Old Testament with Isaiah to Malachi. These are the prophetic books. The point of the Old Testament is God is revealing himself and showing what he expects of man. Lots of stories that show both. And because of that, everything in the Old Testament is relevant to us today. And that is why we should read it. But let's move on to the New Testament. The New Testament begins, for the most part, with the birth of Jesus. But I want to actually take you back to Genesis to see this. Because it was, again, at the very beginning of the Old Testament when God told us what was coming. Check this out, Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your head. That happened on the cross. And you will strike his heel. And that also happened on the cross. I would love to do an entire series on that sentence, but for the sake of the clock in the back of the room, I got to go. Luke chapter 2, we see this prophecy fulfilled. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is what we celebrate next week, the coming of Jesus to earth, the coming of man incarnate. And so we have four books known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Each one of those is identified by the name of the author, four accounts of the life of Jesus, four different books written to four different audiences. And so there are some details that are emphasized in one that are not emphasized in another, but it is one true and accurate story. It's kind of like the way you would talk to a couple of your friends. Let's say you're a video game nerd. And so one of your friends who does not play video games at all says, Hey, what'd you do last night? You'd like him to say, I played video games. But then another friend of yours who's also a video game nerd comes up to you and says, Hey, what'd you do last night? Oh man, I made it to to level 34 of that game where like, you know, the the hyperlinked super or whatever finally becomes available and you can take off into super. Y'all can tell I don't play video games. The point is you would give different details to a different audience. One same true story. One of these was written by a medical uh, practitioner who thought details are super important to make it trustworthy. That's the book of Luke. One of these was written to a Jewish audience and highlighting the coming of a Messiah they've been waiting thousands of years for. And it uses language that is not offensive to the Jewish people. That's Matthew. We don't have time to go through all of the differences, but that's why you have four. Right after the Gospels, we have the book of Acts. This is the birth of the church as followers of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And hear this, because of Jesus, whom we follow, because of the church, which we are part of, and because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, these five books are among the most crucial to our faith, and therefore, we should read these. As soon as we finish with Acts almost the rest of the new testament 21 books all but one that's left are epistles another word for that is letters letters romans through jude different authors different sizes some are only a page if you're looking for an easy way to begin find that one one page there you go you got that you can see, i read an entire book of the bible tonight it was awesome these are letters from key churches key church leaders and apostles to various churches and various believers on how to live the Christian life and how to be the church that will change the world. Because of that, we should definitely read these. We are still expected to live the Christian life. And we are the church that will change the world. That's why Jesus left us here. They tell us how to live. Interesting enough, there is nothing new under the sun. And if you read the Bible, you will find that phrase. I didn't make it up. The problems they faced, we still faced. Whatever the Bible said to them then, it says to us today, it's as relevant as ever. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And then we wrap it all up with the book of Revelation. Check that out. We got through that. The book of Revelation, it was a prophetic vision recorded by John. Yes, the same John of the Gospels. Yes, the same John who also wrote first, second, and third John. And it reveals much about the unseen spiritual war that is taking place all around us, as well as What is yet to come? Here's what you need to know that's very important. Revelation is not all future. We make comments like, we already know the end. And sometimes just by the way we preach, you think that Revelation is all future. It's not all future, it's a lot of future, but some of it actually has already taken place. Another thing you need to know as you read through Revelation, it's not all chronological, once again. Revelation is incredibly prophetic. It's very symbolic. And as a result of that, we should hold it very loosely. This is the last of things, in my opinion, that we should be fighting about as believers. People get caught up into what they think that symbol in Revelation means, what they think this terminology in Revelation means. And it's okay to think and to, to, to decide how this should impact our lives. It's okay to read it and to begin to go there. We do need to ask questions, but we don't need to get divided about things that we're not going to know the answers about until either Jesus comes back or it plays out on earth. Here's what we do need to get out of Revelation that's incredibly important. It promises the victory. It promises the victory. It tells us key things about our eternal future, about God's plan to finally restore all of creation. It tells us about the return of Jesus, and there are crucially important things that are not negotiable in Revelation. So, with all that being said, what is the takeaway today? The enemy wants the Bible to confuse us. Overwhelm us. Maybe even cause us to doubt its value in our lives. God wants the Bible to comfort us, inform us, encourage us, show us who he truly is and who we truly are. Our response should be simple. We must embrace the Bible. It needs to be our guidebook for life. It needs to be our source for truth. It is our basis for knowledge of God. You want some great tools? We've given you a few. On your seat when you came in is the Grace Life one year Bible reading guide, which is not exactly what I described to you earlier. You can do that on your own. There's a misprint in here, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. Anybody who actually reads the Bible, you're going to find it. The rest of you will know you're not reading. Also on your, your seat when you came in, we made this for you just this week. This is to help you see the forest for the trees. As you're reading, we made it the size that can go in your Bible, hopefully, so that as you're reading the Bible, you can look at this and go, oh, I'm, I'm reading somewhere between Genesis and Deuteronomy. What's going on? Oh, I'm reading something between Isaiah and Malachi. What, what's going on? What, what, what is this between Romans and Jude? Where am I and what's going on? But at the top of this, if you'll look at the top of this or on the screen, same place, we're going to give you what is the story of the Bible God reveals himself to creation. God reveals his plan for creation. But sadly, creation breaks. So, God saves and restores his creation. Everything is part of that story. We should be able to back up and see the forest. Not be confused by the trees. I get it. There are lots of stories. There are lots of people. There's a lot of history. 66 books depending on your font size usually in the realm of 2,000 pages it is all one story and if you'll allow me i'm going to read it to you in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and then god said let us make man in our image god said i will take you to be my people and i will be your god and you shall know that i am the lord your god And although mankind knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for other things. But God so loved the world, he wouldn't leave it there. No he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What does that look like? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Does anybody see a theme? From the beginning to the end, God wants to dwell with his people be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away today I want you to get one point more than anything else if we can get the simplicity of this story if we can understand how basic this is what God is doing in unveiling through scripture And the most important thing, or at least one of the two most important things outside of discovering God himself, is we can figure out what our part is. We can figure out where we fit in. You see, there's this big gap in time between the book of Acts and and the rest of the New Testament and Revelation. There's not ever going to be more scripture written. But what we need to understand, sometimes we read the Old Testament and go, that was a long time ago, it doesn't matter to me. Many of us read the New Testament and say, that was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't matter to me. No. We are living in the time between Acts and much of Revelation. You and I are part of God's eternal plan. What he is going to do, he is still doing. The stuff we read about, we can still see in our lives today. When you read in the Bible about someone coming up and praying for someone who is sick and then being healed, we can still do that today. When you read in the Bible about someone talking to someone who doesn't know Jesus, have you heard the story of Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. And they and their entire household became believers. That is what you and I can still do today. We are part of God's plan. Our lives matter as much as the stories that you read because we are part of the story God is still writing. We need to get that. This book isn't just about people that were past. This book gives context for us to to know what God is doing. Why did he leave us here? So that we can be part of the story. So that you and I, just like we read this story, we say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Peter. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet Paul. I can't wait to get to heaven to meet David. David, Paul, and Peter are in heaven saying, I can't wait for a kid to get here. I want to meet him. That, that is why we need to read the Bible. Because we need to know our part in the story it has never been God's plan to have humanity gather up little groups talk about him from a distance it's never been his plan to have humanity come together and even sing songs to him there's one plan that he unveiled from the beginning all the way to the end he wants to be our God, that we would be his people. He has come to dwell with us. For those of you that maybe just like me spent many years of your life gathering up in groups and talking about him. Today I want to invite you to dwell with him. See, when we make Jesus our King, when we make the choice the video was just talking about, the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us. And no longer is God far away. God dwells within every single one of his children. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. I want to help you be able to walk out these doors to say today and say, God dwells with me. God's plan for all of eternity is playing out in my life today. If you've never done that, I'm going to help you do that right now. You don't have to stand up or come down the front. But right where you're seated. I want to help you begin a conversation with him. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you died for me so that now I can live for you. So that now I can dwell with God and He can dwell with me. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. In my simple prayer today, is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Grace Life Me and on Twitter at Grace Life Church.